Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Sharky and George, crime busters of the sea. My name's Ash Rose, your host, and yes, your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Back once again for another slice of this mini-series that we've been doing to celebrate 30 years of the Premier League. It's called Still alive and kick it in as we go back and bring back the class of 1992-93 and that famous advert that spawned this famous podcast and try to speak to a number of the players involved in the advert for both on the TV and on the poster. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, first, cheap plug alert. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, a few episodes back as well. Um, if Talking of the 30th anniversary of the Premier League, there's a brand new book zine, it's not quite a book, it's not quite a magazine, somewhere in between, uh, come out called 30 Years of the Premier League, written by yours truly, published by Kennedy Publishing. So if you want to celebrate and look back at 30 years of the Premier League, which of course includes a whole host, a whole chunk of 90s from 92 to 99, then uh, check it out. Um, it's available at all good Asda's, Waitrose and Sainsbury's, a few independents and some of your wh smith stockist as well so yeah check it out if you can't find it hit me up on twitter um i'll let you know where your probably nearest stockist is at ashrose uk yeah 30 years of the premier league books in go and get that now on to today's show although do you know what i should mention this first because it's been all in the news and people have asked me on twitter as well and i've i've given what i thought but i'll say it once again in case you had uk it missed it and i'm talking about the new the new england kits that have been released this way which are our world cup kits and if you're listening to this somewhat in the future i'm talking about world cup 2022 which is in winter of course in qatar the new kits have caused i think they split opinion let's be honest i think they split opinion the two new kits from nike um where am i where am i at with the kits the home kit um i mean first of all i'm not a fan of the nike template um i don't know the official name of it but this template that's got kind of cuts off at the shoulders, um, all, all the night kits have got it, both domestically and internationally this season. So I'm not a fan of that. I'm also not a fan of a template universal in kits across the board. I know even in the 90s, we had it with some of the Adidas kits, but it just feels like, as I've said, ad nauseum, we get that a lot with, with kits. And then it kind of, not only does it restrict each design, it makes them all a little bit too similar. Although, you know, credit tonight, they've tried to go outside the box as probably as much as they have done so far as uh, under the England contract. And I actually don't mind the home kit. I, I, I don't. It's a, it's different. It's very different. You know, the fadiness on the top of the shoulders. Um, it's not to everyone's liking. And I get why people don't <clears throat> like it, excuse me. And also why it looks slightly like a training chair as well. But I, I don't mind it. It's, it's, it's different. You know, it's, it's different, different from what we last couple of kits as well, where they've been very heavily navy influenced um, as well. So they've gone for a different colour blue. The blue I like, especially because it has Euro 96 vibes. They haven't really mentioned that in any of the advertising, not that I've seen anyway. But th there's a clear nod to that Euro 96 kind of turquoise colour, which has only ever happened on that kit and it's made it and it made it quite unique so I'm, I'm all for bringing that back i love the little turquoise touches on the shorts as well so i am a fan of the home and many would expect me to be a fan of the away kit as well because i mean let's be honest it, it's it's a complete they all say homage to the the, the early 90s the classic 1990 umbro kit that had the the, the iconic collar uh, which had the little Umbro symbols on it as well. Um, 
classic third kit as well with the blue one but it, it's based on that with a little bit of the red kit from kind of the end of the decade as well which had the big blue collar uh, as well I, but I just don't like it I feel I know why they've done it it's clearly tried to speak to people like me and more so actually to the people who go and buy all the replica retro shirts which I'm not a fan of people buy them and, and but for me it's either you know have an umbro symbol have a be a proper kit from that time or none at all i get that if you want a kit from that time they cost extortion amount of money but i just don't like them i don't like the, the retro remakes it's not for me and i feel that's the route they've gone down but they've gone so far down that to me it doesn't look like a retro remake it kind of looks like one of those sort of knockoff market jobs you see uh in you know walking around and it used to be a market for me. I'm trying to find a better word, but yeah, it just it looks. It doesn't look like an England kit because they've gone too far with it to copy such an iconic kit from from previously. And I'm sure it will sell. And it always looks different once it's on pitch as well. So I might have a different opinion once I've seen it. But I I get it. I get what they're going for. It's just I think they went too far with it. And it was just an Umbro kit. It needs an Umbro symbol. It needs the Umbro sort of touches on it and it's just it's just not work for me and I'm, i don't like the badge the the way they've colored it either so kind of a hit and a miss for me i think the home kit is is nice and i'm i i appreciate what they tried to done and i love the blue the way not so much and probably people thought i'd say the other way around but there you go anyway still alive and kicking we skipped a few people along the row uh, on that famous team photo uh from the 1992 advert and uh today we are it's a really fun chat actually i really really enjoyed speaking to to this guy um he's arsenal's representative david hillier um tells some great stories of the sort of the you know the time he was coming through arsenal you know the, the famous big names the famous tuesday drinking club and all the fun that they got up to in that it's a really really fun chat with, with david hillier so this is one i've been looking forward uh to drop in we've still got a few more of these as well to go so we're not going anywhere. In terms of our main show, with, there was a planned episode last week due to technical difficulties, and I'm going to call them internet gremlins. Um, it wouldn't record; it we just couldn't get going, and so uh, we will we have rescheduled that, and that hopefully will be dropping soon. But the, yeah, schedules and technical difficulties have been a problem over the last kind of ten days. But we'll be back with a full episode with Ed and a couple of guests. Um, hopefully next week. Keep abreast of the Twitter feed. And uh, do you all find out what we will be talking about next? I suppose we better get some World Cup episodes planned, isn't we? It's not far off now, definitely. Anyway, let's go back to the mini series. This is still alive and kicking, and today this is Arsenal's representative, David Hillier. Before you get stuck into the brand new episode of Alive and Kicking, I'm delighted to announce a partnership with the amazing Footy Devotion. Footy Devotion have a brilliant range of t-shirts, coasters, prints and mugs, all illustrated by the amazing team at Footy Devotion and inspired by the 1990s as well, with a special range dedicated to Italian 90. And because you listen to Alive and Kick In, the original 1990s football podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Simply use the code AK90s at the checkout and you'll get 10% off. That's AK90s, so AK90S, and 10% off your order. Jobs are good at. Check out Footy Devotion on Twitter, at Footy Devotion, and the whole range. I've got a few myself. 
I've got the brilliant 3pm sweatshirt. I'm looking at a brilliant QPR print kit I've got on my wall. And there's loads and loads to choose from, from World Cups to clubs and many, many more. So check out Footy Devotion. And as always, keep it 90s. Let's take you right back. So like, we're in 1992, but pre that, I mean, you broke into the Arsenal team pretty much 1990s, where your story mm-hmm. starts. What was that era like under George Graham? Obviously, you ran the first division in 91. What are your, firstly, what are your memories of that sort of early time of you breaking in to the Arsenal team? Well, I think back then you'd been conditioned pretty much from the youth team. Even schoolboys, I'd say, playing the same sort of football that the manager wanted to play. George had just come to the club when I signed as an apprentice. So um, obviously everything he implemented straight away, the youth team did the same as the reserves and played the same way as the first team so that he could get that flow of players. Uh, You know what it was like back then. We already had quite a few players in the team that had um, come through the ranks. Yeah. And and it was the way clubs did it. So, uh, yeah, I I think straight away it was a pretty regimented regime when it comes to training um the style of training you know there was only probably seven or eight drills we did the the whole season it was just repetitive stuff um not not certainly not the um the advanced level engineered football of today (laughs) yeah um but yeah and straight into the discipline as well straight into it you know what what you're eating what you're doing at night you knew they was checking up on you um and yeah, but, but at the end of the day, I think they got results from that. You know, yeah. they got results from not being, not pampering anybody. It was a tough, it was still tough then. The training was tough. Well, you, you're from that era that, you know, it's kind of long forgotten, kind of, you know, doing the chores, the YTS. I mean, what was what was mm-hmm. that like? What, what, the cleaning players' boots, I imagine. Yeah. What, yeah. you know, that's so, very different. So you had, what era. But, yeah, but what that gave you was a connection to where you could be yeah. and, and, totally. and, you know, and it was a, it's the right way of getting there, if, if you ask me. Yeah. Cleaning someone's boots and then having someone clean yours. You respect the kid cleaning your boots then yeah. because you've done that job. Um, yeah, and I mean, my journey used to start at 6.15 in the morning, you know, walk up to the train station, get the train into London, tube to Arsenal, mm-hmm. get to Arsenal for 7.30, start doing the chores at yeah. the ground, get all the laundry, all the kit on the coach with all the other boys. Um, and hike it up to the training ground, put it out for the first teamers. And I mean, back then we used to get our <laughs> kit washed once, once a week. <laughs> our training kit would be yeah. washed once a week. You know, even in, the, even in the winter, you used to just rinse it out in the yeah. winter and hang it over the pipes to dry. Um, first team got done every day because, you know, that was Luxury, the way it was. Yeah. <laughs> we had Ethel, Ethel and Tony Donnelly. I don't know if you remember them, great characters. Ethel done the personal okay. advert. Uh, oh right! <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the you know the one back in the day, yeah, the yeah. Arsenal player. So there was there was a big connection in the club between everybody who worked there, you know, in the offices, the ground staff, everyone, everyone chipped in. Um, and Who's boots did you clean? So my first player was Charlie Nicholas and wow. Bill Anderson. Wow. So yeah, and yeah, and Char- Charlie was there when I when I signed my schoolboy forms. You got to pick a player who you could have your photos with. <laughs> and it was Charlie. Yeah, it was great. And they they take you out at Christmas, and you know they you go out for a drink with the boys, and they look after you. Um, 
I used to have to do this thing where we at Christmas we'd have to sing a Christmas carol <laughs> in our in our jockey shorts, standing oh, in no. a tub of standing in the boot cleaning tub, which was outside, <laughs> and we had to sing a Christmas carol, and then you'd get your fifty quid off your pro. <laughs> and um, you know, but that was that was a yeah, it was some great ones. I mean, Andy oh. Cole once there was a memorable one when Andy Cole got up and it, it, he cleaned Tony Adams' boots, and he got up and he sung Little Donkey. <laughs> um, it was just class. It was class. Yeah. So it was good, a, a really good upbringing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure the lads have banter these days. Yeah. Um, but we, we was close to the first team already, you know, so you, you, you envisaged, envisaged being part of that. That, that 1990-91 team that won the first division, which you were sort of part of, although I think you, you, you progressed the next season more predominantly, but I also yeah. think that's, that team gets underrated because it only lost like one game. I, mean, it was, I think it was Chelsea, if I remember rightly. But when they talk about great teams, I know they're pre-Premier League and we were in this era where the Premier League is the, is the be-all, but I always think that team goes under the radar because they were a great team and obviously so hard to beat. Yeah, I, uh, Ash, I'm not going to question you on your research, but I think you'll find that I've played nearly all the games in that season. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, and and the one game against Chelsea, which was when Tony Adams was unfortunately incarcerated, um, I played central defence and no. we lost that game. So Boldy went off. Him, yeah. and Tony Ad him and Andy Linegan were playing centre-back. Um, Boldy went off. I think he was unwell. Oh, OK. He was unwell. Not not injured. I think he'd been unwell when he just couldn't get through the rest of the game, and I had to drop into the into the back four. And um, I think it was Graham Stewart. Yeah, I was going to say Graham Dixon. Stewart. I mean, yeah. Graham Stewart or Kerry Dixon that scored. Um, but it was Nigel Winterburn's fault. He made a bad header, you know. <laughs> so I, I tell him every time I see him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that season was a phenomenal season. Yeah. Um, but it, it it was based on the fact that if you don't lose or don't concede, you can't get beat. That was yeah. George's philosophy. Yeah. Um, and we had the players that week in, week out would unlock it for us at the end of the game. Mm. You know, one nil to the Arsenal. We had the we had that in our game to pull it out. And we supported those players as well. You know, we had we had predominantly six defenders on the pitch and four attackers. That's the way George played. Yeah. Mm. Um, and if one of those midfield players could make the extra man, that that would that was the bonus. Um, but yeah, and it was effective for a, a few seasons. Yeah, it, it was sure. And they always talk about that era as well of the, you know the drinking culture. It was yeah. such a juxtaposition between obviously George being such a disciplinarian as you say, and then obviously it wasn't just at Arsenal, of course, it was in Leila Levant then. But what was that like as yeah. well? Such big characters, and how did you fit in with kind of that side of the culture at the club at the time? Well, I think I think you're bang on that it wasn't just Arsenal. I mean, everybody talks about Arsenal, don't they? The yeah. Tuesday club. But that's only because Arsenal were in Europe regular and used to go out when they got back from, from there. So, you know, it was it was one of those things. And we was the London club doing it. So we got that name. But yeah, all the clubs were doing it. If, if you talk to players now, you know, and their stories are coming out as we speak, aren't they? The sort of the, the, the players of yesteryear, how they used to go out and drink yeah. all the time and probably wish they hadn't and are having problems now because of it. So, you know, it does it does stretch quite far across the spectrum of football back in that era. Um, but it was it was quite easy to cope with, with, really. The lads trained hard. You know, it was... The culture was to sweat it out and they worked hard Thursday, Friday or the two days before a game. So no one took real liberties. Mm. There was obviously the stories when they went out the night before a game and got a result the next day. You know, <laughs> that, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, but on the whole, I think they're just... You know, they're, they're one out of 
very very many um where where they did look after themselves but yeah you couldn't you didn't want to be at the back of a warm-up on a on going in on a thursday morning when everybody had been out on tuesday and wednesday because <laughs> it, it, it was like being in a brewery yeah <laughs> But we, we enjoyed it, you know, yeah. we, we bonded well. There was no clicks in that side at all. No clicks at all. Um, I, I wasn't particularly a big drinker, but I'd yeah. stay out all night. Um, you know, I was a young lad enjoying being a, being a pro footballer in the best club in the land. Mm. And, you know, every, everyone got on. It was, a, it was a great time. It was a great time. Let's go to, to 1992 then and the advert which kind of spun this this book is centred around. How did you first hear about the advert? And I'm, I'm always fascinated how each player was chosen because obviously there was nip as a player from each club. Um, I spoke to Ian, as I said, Ian Butterworth this day was under the assumption it was captains, and obviously it wasn't because there's quite a few that I spoke to that wasn't captains of the club at the time. No. How did you get involved and chosen for for the Sky advert? Uh, well, you know, through through my agent, I, I was with Jerome Anderson Management. Um, he was looking after Ian Wright at the time, um, and I suppose Wright he wasn't good looking enough. <laughs> they, they obviously wanted me you know I was, I was young I was pretty just got in the Arsenal side back back then obviously didn't had a bit of hair back then and not all this facial stuff and not the compensation on the chin but um yeah it I, I just got it from the agent went along on the day and yeah there were some big name players there and lads I was turning up against every week as well mm-hmm. so it was, it was a good day um that was really really it. I didn't really think about it being the start of the very first ever Premier League Sky Sports advert, um, you know, and, and what it meant, what it was going to lead to. But um, yeah, I look back now, and it's yeah, the kids have a good laugh when they see it. They, they can't believe yeah. it. Yeah, you get off to be fair, you get off quite lightly in the actual TV advert because there's obviously those shower scenes. Um, there's the thing in the gym, and I think I can spot you kind of in the background. But you got off lightly. There wasn't too many cheesy bits that you, was that just luck of the draw on the day. Mm, I, th- I think I think on the day we was profiled as well you know to to sort of how influential we were in the Premier League so obviously players that were sort of more forwards maybe strikers well I think um Les Les Ferdinand I think is yeah is he in it a little bit Les um and you know so yeah it, it depended on your profile so I just sneaked in the back door really I was quite happy I was, I was quite happy um yeah, I was only a skinny little runt then as well, so I don't think you wanted to see me in this. I weren't really manly enough. <laughs> yeah, I was still still pretty um, boyish um, back then. But yeah, no, it was, it was as I said, great. I did some I did some funny things in that season as well. I did a a, a show for the um, the David Letterman a bit for oh, the right. David Letterman show in America, okay. where I was I, yeah. I was his body double. How random! <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I had to I had to go to Wembley Stadium to take a penalty against, um, who was the Tottenham goalkeeper at the time? Joseph Eck? No, uh, young guy, had the loopy hair. Oh, Ian Walker. Ian Walker. So Ian Walker was in goal. I had to dress up as David Letterman, had a bald head fitted with a little bit of hair at the back. They gave me a, a Hugo Boss suit for nothing. <laughs> Give it to me. Brilliant. It and I had to do a penalty, but I had to do a, a flick over the back of your head, you know, yeah. and you pull it up. Yeah, yeah. And then volley it like that, sort of from, from the edge of the box. And then then a penalty kick. But they only put the penalty out. And somehow they put it in his show where he runs out of the door. Right. Runs straight into Wembley, takes a penalty and runs out and runs back in. 
But yeah, random. Totally oh, random. I'm going to Google the hell of that and see if it's on YouTube. I've got to yeah, find that. Go for it. Go for it. That would be great. That that's be a great, great quiz question. Which 90s footballer was this body double? I don't think anyone, that's a great quiz question for the future, that one. Um, well, can I have a, I'm going to cut on that if there's any, um, <laughs> any royalties. Any royalties, definitely. Yeah. I mean, go back to this. I mean, what did your teammates say? Because I always think, you know, especially at clubs like Arsenal, where obviously the banter was great. What, when, once they saw the advert and I mean, what sort of stick did you get at the club? I don't, no one, everyone was doing little bits. So I, I don't really remember any any stick for it. I don't think they took much notice of it. I got more yeah. stick for the picture with, with the llama. Oh, um, yeah, I've seen that. I, I That's right. That. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. And because I was in training kit as well. And I was, you know. <laughs> what was that it was for? All, it, it was just staged. It was at a, a hotel and it was just bringing, I think it was something to do with London clubs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I suppose it was all the marketing and stuff they could do back then. You know, you look at all the photo shoots and the, the catalogues, they're so cheesy back then. It's so nice. It's why we kind of celebrate that era. Yeah, it, just yeah. it is great. It is great. No, no. And we love it. The fact that we actually had an identity then because yeah. of it. You know, we wasn't just another player in another kit. It was it was fun. Yeah, But no one yeah, didn't, didn't get much stick about that, I don't think. Because one of your teammates is also part of this advert, although he's not there on the day. He does, uh, Anders Limbard does some really cheesy showers and sort of waking up scenes with his wife. And then he puts aftershave on in the advert. Did, do you remember speaking to Anders about that? Or was Anders quite embarrassed about that role he played in it? Listen, Anders, Anders was your typical Swede at the time. <laughs> if, you had a, if you had a stereotype of a Swede, Anders was him. Um, <laughs> He was strange to say the least. He'd been known to turn up uh, and you know get changed and have a leopard skin thong on. Nice. Um, just, just and and to parade it, you know, yeah. uh, uh, and be proud of it. Yeah. Um, so I think he was. Yeah, he, he was quite an open lad. Um, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he probably enjoyed it. But no, I, th- I didn't even realise he'd, he'd been sort of um, outsourced to do to do extra bits on, yeah. on that but uh, it doesn't surprise me yeah he was he was a bit of a strange one the little Swede <laughs> I think it's his actual wife in the in the VT as well which um because he's on my list we we have spoken on Twitter I'm trying to arrange a time to talk to him about it but yeah I read somewhere he was his actual wife on the on the advert as well which is crazy when you think about it um uh well so I was just going for the the whole David Letterman's thrown me, David, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so, you're, you're just thinking about getting that. Thinking about it's how random that is. That really it's is. Got to be there. It's got to be there. It's, it's got to be, be there, there somewhere. Because I'm looking at the other players on there as well. Do you remember who were the big... I mean, Vinnie Jones is obviously there. Who were the big personalities on the day? Or were there people you certainly chatted with? Or was it quite a just get on with it? Do you know what? You'd have to pull the picture up for, for me to... Yeah. I know. I think um, Gordon Strachan was there. Yeah, he was, yeah. Gordon being there. And when, when we played against Leeds... Um, he was really kind to me before the game, after the game, um, in the fact of giving me advice, telling me that I've done well in the game, stuff like that. He was a really honest player, you know. And um, so on the day, obviously, I, I kind of, I remember sort of peeling off with him a little bit yeah. because I didn't know no one. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. You don't know no one. It's like it's like 22 kids from different schools coming together. Totally, yeah. And, and, and because it's a, because it's a, a staged and, and sort of managed event, you're just put in place. You're just mm-hmm. sort of moved around, and there's no real. There weren't no real time for socially not socialising on the day. It was an in and out, um, a few hours. Um, you know, cut all this. They must have cut all the stuff they wanted, and then just put it together after. Which you can probably tell by how cheesy it is and how it's 
so it's like a 90, it's like a pop video, ain't it? It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, yeah. It's become iconic, which is why we kind of try to bring it right back because <clears> it'd be 30 years, obviously, next year of the Premier League with, with that that promo. Um, in terms of that season then, following on from that, so 92-93, first season of the Premier League, um, again, you play pretty much the whole season until that injury at the end. I mean, what, what do you remember about that season? Uh, Arsenal were pretty much a cup team that year. What what are your memories from the 92-93 season? Yeah, I think I think at the start of the season we was a little bit sort of, you know, still feeling like we was a, a, a top side, um, and I think we got a shock. I mean, it was I think at the start of the season we did, did we play Norwich at the start yeah. of the season and get beat. Yeah, and it was on you at half time. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shock, um, and I think we realised at that point that we'd got sussed a little bit the way mm. we played. Um, teams could play a little bit more technical around us, um, draw us into their game rather than us just dominate them physically and have some good forwards because that's basically what we did. We had good solid defenders, out and out defenders. We had dedicated central midfielders and some flair players and good finishers. But I think what we probably didn't have was the the playmakery kind of players. Obviously, Dave Rocastle, he was sort of still. I think. We, still just around or he left yeah. I think you might yeah. you had Davo Paul Davis was you know he's a creative player but he was sort of getting a little bit older yeah. as well so I think that was an area probably the team needed to refresh and other teams kind of caught up um, Blackburn bought well in didn't they they bought well and and you know got stronger and yeah so we, we definitely became a cup team but yeah, as you said I had a little injury at the end that kept me out yeah how, I mean how Obviously, it's gutting to, to be missing part of, of not just one cup final, but two. I mean, did, is it hard at that point, even though you, you're part of the club, but you're not playing? What, what sort of mindset is that? Well, I think I think in keeping with what I said earlier, you've still kept very much part of the team. Yeah. I mean, you, the medical, medical department wasn't in a different area of the training ground. Everybody congregated in the medical room in the morning. So you, you was with all your teammates from all throughout the day. And even going up to that, the manager still involved me in all the team meetings. I went to all the events before the hotel stayovers. I suppose mainly because Gary Lewin was our only physio and he was doing physio while he was away with the team as well. So if the team yeah. travelled away, the, the injured players or the first team injured players would, would stay with Gary. And, and so you're still very much a part of it. And on the day, it was it was all right because you didn't have to play football and you could just get drunk with all the players' wives and your missus <laughs> and have a good day with the fans. Um, and, and that's that's basically basically what I did. Um, yeah. And yeah, and fortunately, I played enough games to get medals. Yeah. Um, but you just you just accept it. It's part of football. You know, you missed out on things, but you play a big part in getting the team there. What were the players like at the end of the League Cup final? The whole Steve Morrow incident. I mean, it's such a you know, bizarre moment in cup history that you're cel obviously celebrating, but then the teammates fallen and broken his arm. What was that like in the post-match? Well, well, it was. It, I was shocked. I was in the stadium and I was sort of making my way down as the as the final whistle went and that. And I was just, you know, I just wanted to find out what had happened. You know, how was he? Um, but yeah, I don't think there was anybody. I don't remember anybody in the dressing room celebrating. Really. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really muted. Everyone was so concerned about him yeah. because I've got to be honest, it was horrific. If you, yeah. if you've, you know, I've only 
seen it close up on a video, obviously, because I was way up in the stand. But it is, I've been close up when people have broke their legs and, you know, snapped their ankles and things. But to actually see someone and when he's on the floor, bent in an unusual position. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely like he'd fell off. Of, you know, it's like one of those things you draw around, the police yeah. draw around a dead body. Um, and it was like weird. And yeah, so it was, it was definitely um, subdued. Um, but, you know, he, he, he did well, didn't he? He did yeah. well, he got a goal. <laughs> he got a goal when he was... And, that, and he, that's all he'll remember from it. You know, his arm, yeah. yeah, you know, that's part of him now. Everybody will ask him about it, but he'll remember, he'll remember scoring. Scoring at Wembley. You had the same, you had unfortunate fate in the following season as well, didn't you? Because you missed the cup winners cup final. Did you think there was just something against you in cup finals at that point? Well, yeah, there's, I do, I do um, some dinners with Alvin Martin and he does the hosting and he always brings it up about all the things I've done because I've got some pretty decent honours. Yeah. And he said, and he says he's won all these things. He's done all that. He said, and then he lists finals that I've played in. <laughs> and I haven't played in any. You know, <laughs> and the ones I have, the only one I played in, we lost. So, uh, uh, you know, the Zaragoza. So he, um, so he has, yeah, it's quite a good line for him leading in. And it does, it does great on me that I didn't, yeah, get to be there at the end of a winning one. Um, but I won the FA Youth Cup. Don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, I was like not. I, yeah, I wasn't captain all that season. I kind of fell into the role yeah. just before the finals. Um, but yeah, that, so I've 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 had that feeling, mm. you know, of captaining an Arsenal side to a to a big um, a, a big cup victory. But yeah, disappointed, definitely not to have played in some. And you know, the, the way I got the injury and, and missed the. Cup Winners Cup final as well. I think it was in Torino at the second leg at home. And I'd actually probably had my best game in an Arsenal shirt in the away leg at Torino. I played really well out there. Um, I think Benito Carboni oh, was wow. playing for Torino at the time. And I was man-marking him. You know, that was my kind of job then. But I, I fed off him well that game. I got lots of the ball and, you know, sprayed it around a bit. And I did quite well. And the next game, disappointing, yeah, the Within 10 minutes, I had um, a cut to my ankle, 10 stitches, and I couldn't come back on. Mm. So, yeah, gutted. That was probably the most disappointing one to miss, the, the yeah. European final, if I'm honest. Although, you know, the home finals, yeah, the FA Cup, you know, it's every boy's dream. But I think yeah. Europe, Europe Barcelona, yeah. the atmosphere of the European games, the drums beating, the smoke, the sort of, you know, the firecrackers. Yeah, gutted to have missed it. Yeah, it was that more, sorry to bring this up as well, but was, was that more disappointing than the, the, the following year and, and that naive moment? Was that more disappointing, missing Yeah, I, I don't, you know, the naive moment is a is a one-off. He's never yeah. going to do that again. <clears throat> no one thought he was going to do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think even Dave Seaman will say the ball took a little bit of a dodgy flight. It did go through the lights. Everything was in the favour. There's not making excuses for it, but sometimes those strange anomalies just happen um and that won't ever be repeated not in not as you know not as almost a final kick in a final in extra time it just don't happen mm, it does uh, not moving on to your ex i mean 1996 arsene wenger came in you had some you know some osfield stuff that you were dealing with how how did you see your exit at arsenal was was a case of wenger didn't see you as his guy and a few others like Obviously, he shipped out Paul Merson as well. How how do you see your exit at Arsenal and, and the things that surrounded it? Um, well, 
the things that surrounded my exit was that I didn't see a future there. Yeah. There was at no point did I speak to Arsene Wenger about my future with Arsenal. Um, my agent come and spoke to me and said, you know, how do you feel? Patrick Vieira had been there a couple of months already, um, but he was injured when he came. Um, he was already looking the part. Um, and I didn't, I hadn't played for a little while. Obviously, things had gone on with Rioch and that. Um, I didn't have a good time under him. Um, and I think, I think from that moment on, I never really felt like I was going to get back in. Um, so I just, I had sort of not given up, but resigned myself to the fact that I'll just yeah. see my contract down, wait to see what happens. Then Patrick came along and I thought, this, this ain't happening. I knew, I knew Arsene Wenger was coming. I went to the, the European game against, I think it was Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund. Um, he wasn't officially in charge. He was still at, um, in, in Japan. Um, but he came along and sort of had a bit of influence on the side that day. Um, and that was really all I had to do with him. Then, then a few weeks later, my agent come in and said, look, Portsmouth can come in. It's a good offer. I'd, I was on crap money at Arsenal as well. I'd, I'd been just doubled up from a youngster. Yeah. But never signed that contract in the first team, that nice contract. And Portsmouth offered me it and I weren't getting in the team. So I thought it'd be time to make a little change. Um, yeah. So I, I was happy to leave, but no one leaves Arsenal. Yeah. Very few leave Arsenal and go up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, at whatever stage you're at, whether you're 21 or 30, 31. You know, yeah. Very few people leave and, and go to a bigger or better club. And, you know, no regrets about it. But obviously Arsenal is the, my main um, my main football sort of influence. Mm. And post, I mean, playing, you, you dabbled in coaching. Uh, you were a fireman at one point. And still, do you still active in that, in that field? I mean, how different is that for an ex uh, I, I, well, I'm not, I, I left, so brief summary, left football when I was about 33 and a half. I had a couple of um, property sort of concerns going on in Bristol where I, I moved, played for my last club, Bristol Rovers. So I, I needed to stay around because I had them going on and I was sort of managing them myself, um, mm. doing all the maintenance and bits and pieces. So I continued that for a couple of years. Um, and then I just, yeah, I joined the fire service. Um, my wife wanted me out of her hair for a few days of the week. <laughs> Um, and did that for 15 years. Wow. Um, so yeah, from 36 to 51. And then I give that up a year just before the pandemic. Um, I kind of, it's like everything I'd, I'd seen enough and done enough in it and I wasn't yeah. getting any more from it. And I literally started a building company sort of oh, okay. eight, eight months before and it was all taken off. So I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll bite the bullet do this for 10 years. And, um, and then that'll be it hopefully. Wow! Retire and play a bit of golf, a bit more. Yeah, golf. sounds like it. How, how's how's the pressures of firefighting compared with the, the pressures of being a footballer? I, I imagine it's it's vastly different. Um, it, it is, but I'm I'm quite a practical person, so yeah. I just I just go head on into everything, uh, you know. And I think hard work always pays off. That's always been my motto. Um, mm. It got me where it did in football, definitely. Um, and I think if you, yeah, if that's all I did, it did some, you know, saw some horrific things, mm. made some life changing decisions for people um, and saved people and animals and property and did all that. And it was tough work. Mm. It was tough work. But it, I found in the end, it was a bit like, you're a bit like the AA. You're just waiting for something to happen all the time. Yeah. 
Um, and where we're getting safer and things were getting better in the community, we was waiting a little bit too much. Too much, sometimes. yeah. Um, especially in, I mean, there was there's busy stations. There's always really busy ones. Mm. Um, but you know, so I just yeah, I just thought I'd seek a little bit you of excitement somewhere else. Yeah, and go and go and go and work every day for ten hours instead. <laughs> um, well, my final question really is um, in terms of someone who's played in that change in the nineties. As we said, the nineties such a decade that changed football. When for you did you notice that? you know, the Premier League was going to become the Premier League, you know, when Sky took over. What was the, the catalyst for you when you started to notice things were about to change? I, I think for me, obviously the injection of money, I think it was round about when, when the money came out of um, the lower leagues, really, and, and, you know, the big fight went on, I think, was it around 2001-ish? Yeah. ITV and all that, yeah. Yeah, and um, you had um, the the... Who's the, who's the guy that owned everything on the... Rupert Murdoch. And yeah. Rupert Murdoch, yeah. So he had his money. He had Rupert's money in. And um, and then I think it became apparent then when they was willing to lose a couple of leagues mm. to make the big ones profit, that it was going to be massive. That's when the salary jumps really made the difference. You saw the big players. Luckily, some of the players that I played with got on the back of that. You know, your Ray Parlers and... Mm. and, and, and and the like, you know, going to Middlesbrough and stuff, and they'd have been the first, really, of the big hitters, um, and and kicking off the Premier League and and the salaries, and that's where I think it blew up. Then um, mm. marketing and advertising just took off. So really, really, I'd say two thousand and one, two thousand and two, which is you know bang on when I decided to get out of the game. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I, I seriously, you know, I looked at coaching, like you said earlier, and I did do a bit of coaching for local teams and stuff. Um, but I looked into getting it when I was working with Martin Allen at Barnet. And for, for what was in it at those lower leagues, because everything had been taken out, the investment, it just it just seemed like too much hard work for me. Yeah. I didn't want to go and do eight hours a week, uh, eight days a week, you know, because that's what the job was. It was 24-7, but somehow you had to fit an extra day in because it was just so, you had to work so hard to achieve anything back then. And fair play to the guys that have battled through it and, and got the leagues back in a little bit of, um, better order financially now and they do get a bit more support um, but yeah I think that era really took took money out of the game killed a lot of players as well a lot of players went out of the game then a lot of good yeah. players in their early 30s went out of the game and could have offered so much more just uh, well David thank you very much for your time the, and, and the memories there I, I think I'll, the lava and David Letterman's going to live with me for the rest of the day I think so. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a text or something or something from you with that link for the <laughs> I'll find it I'll, it's got to be there yeah, I'll, I will, will find it. it don't worry I'll dig I'll dig deep and I'll find it um, thank you very much cheers have a good day right. see ya right. cheers buddy bye bye